Welcome to Victory with Paul Doherty, pastor of Victory in Tulsa, Oklahoma. If you're in the area, we'd love to meet you at any of our services, Saturday night at 5 p.m. and Sundays at 8.30, 9, and 11 a.m. If you can't visit us, you can watch live on the Victory app, downloadable on the App Store and Google Play. Pastor Paul has a great message for you today, and I believe this message is going to make an impact in your life. All right, everybody say David. David. We have been in a series on the life of David, and listen, here's why. There are more chapters in the Bible about the life of David than any other character in the Bible except Jesus. So how many of y'all think that's worth paying attention to, right? There's some lessons to learn from David before he was king. There's stories about his emotions, his attitude, his reactions, his, his good times and his bad times, his great days and his worst days, and there's a lot of lessons we can learn. We've talked about how God chose David at a young age when he was 13 years old, pimples on his face in junior high, going through puberty with his voice cracking, and God chose this little boy, the youngest of eight sons, to be the future king of Israel. The reason why God chose David is because David was a man after God's own heart. And God wants you and I to be people after his own heart. God's looking for people who will search for God's will in every decision of their life. They're more concerned with pleasing God than looking good in the eyes of man. You know, before David would step into this role, there was another king that was leading, and his name was King Saul. And we talked about how Saul started to hate David because David became very popular. After David killed the giant, Goliath, David became a household name in Israel. Everybody loved David except for Saul. And he would throw spears at David, and David would hide in caves. And for 15 years, between when he was anointed and given a prophetic word that one day he would be the king, it would be 15 plus years before that appointment would actually happen. Isn't it amazing that you can know something in your heart you're called to do, you're anointed to do it, but it's not your season yet. It's not your time. Today, the title of the message is, It's Your Time Now. It's Your Time Now. Turn to the person next to you and say, It's My Time Now. Turn to the person, turn to your second choice and say, It's Your Time Now. It's Your Time Now. So David had been waiting, he had been hiding, he had been on the run, and now he was 30 years old. And we come to 2 Samuel chapter five, verse four, and we get excited about the word of God here. Come on, somebody, better than the NBA finals. Yeah, 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 yeah. David was 30 years old when he began to reign. Come on, somebody, 30 years old. And he reigned 40 years and all. So David was a young Man, when he stepped in as the leader, he had been waiting, and think about that, 30 years old when he started, which means it had been 16, 17 years before that time, back in that moment when he knew he was called to do it. Never uh, grow weary if you've been given a word from God and you know there's something in your heart to do. How many of you feel called to do something that you're not doing yet, but you know at some point, the right time, you're gonna step into that calling, that anointing? That's right, hold on to that. David held on to it with faith and patience, and he saw the fulfillment of his dream. Everybody say, it's my time. So the season came where David stepped in as leader. And I wanna encourage you today to see yourself as a leader. See, leadership is found in all ages, all jobs, all seasons of life, and all spheres of influence. Leadership is not just when you're the boss of the company. You can be a leader even when you're not the boss. 
You can be a leader when you're a teenager and you can be a leader when you're 90 years old. Leadership is not confined to how old you are. It's not confined to what your job status is. It's not confined to whether you're single or married. Leadership is meant to be used by God in every sphere of life. And here's the great thing. God's calling on your life eclipses your inadequacies for you to lead. God's calling on your life for you to lead eclipses all of your inadequacies. In other words, you might say, well, Paul, I'm too young. I'm too short. I come from the wrong family. I've made too many mistakes. I don't know if God can use me. I kind of feel like I messed up my chances with God. I've been through too many uh, wrecked relationships for God to give me a healthy marriage. No, no, no. God's grace eclipses your inadequacies. In other words, it's bigger than your sin. It's bigger than your problems. God's calling on your life is stronger than your mistakes. It's stronger than your shortcomings. God's gonna find a way to get you into the place that he's called you to be. He has a way of pulling you out of any trouble you've gotten yourself into. That's good news right there. Whether you got in trouble or someone else got you in trouble, God knows how to get you out. Somebody say, it's my time. The book of Job says that God has set an end to your difficulty. That's powerful right there. God has set an end. There is a end time. There is a due date for the end of your difficulty. There's gonna be a moment where you come out of that struggle, that, that valley, that tunnel of darkness, and David finally saw it. The light was coming, the crown was coming. They said, David, it's your time. You are now the king of Israel. You know, when David stepped in as king, he united the entire nation of Israel under Jehovah God. David cared about the presence of God. We'll see in 2 Samuel 6 that David brought everybody to worship. He brought the ark of God back into Jerusalem, back to Israel. And he celebrated with dancing and with worship and reading of the word of God. It's your time to lead the way that God's called you to lead. It's time to bring a spiritual renewal, a revival, an awakening to this nation, to your company, to your family. God wants to use you the way that God used David as a leader in his country to change the culture from the previous leadership. See, David was not a pioneer leader. He was a transitional leader. Saul was the first king of Israel. David had to step in and shift the culture back to God. Under Saul, things had gotten a little messy. I mean, there was, no, there was no spiritual life. Things were dead. People weren't worshiping God. People weren't gathering together to read the word. But when David stepped in, he started changing the atmosphere. It is your time to take authority of the atmosphere that God has placed you in and to shift it back to him. When David stepped in as leader of Israel, Israel's borders were only 6,000 square foot miles. But by the time, in, in fact, in less than 10 years, David expanded the borders of Israel from 6,000 square foot miles to 60,000 square foot miles. Why? Because God prospers those who seek him first. The more that David sought God, the more God gave him favor in every area. Look at this in 2 Samuel 5, verse 22. It says, soon after David had been king, after a little while, the Philistines returned. Isn't it amazing that even after your promotion, the haters still show up? Like, they just don't go away. And if you think, man, once I become the king, once I become the leader, then I won't have to deal with any enemies. No, you become a bigger target because leadership is a target. People are looking for someone that they can hate on, someone that they can try to get rid of, someone that they're not a fan of. So the Philistines showed up again, and the enemy will show up in every season of your life, in demotions and in promotions. And they spread out across the valley of Rephidim. In other words, they were surrounding David. They were trying to intimidate David. 
But look what David does in verse 23. It says, David sought the Lord and he asked God, what do I do? Everybody say, God, what do I do? Man, God loves to hear you ask him that question because he has the answers for every problem that you're facing. Every decision, God, what do I do? And God answered David, don't attack them straight on. Instead, circle around behind and attack them near the poplar trees. And God gave David success. It, say that, it says that David overcame every enemy that came against him. In fact, in 2 Samuel 7, verse 1, God gave David rest from all of his enemies. When the enemies would try to come against him, David just kept on winning. You know the best way to, to beat your enemies? Just keep on prospering. Keep on being who God's called you to be. God's about to give you rest on all sides. It doesn't mean the enemies disappear. It just means they can't touch you. There's a little fish in the Red Sea called the Moses Soul. Everybody say Moses Soul. It's about the size of my hand. And this small little fish lives in the Red Sea, and scientists discovered that sharks now live in the Red Sea as well. Sharks have gotten into the Red Sea uh, over in the Middle East, and, and these sharks will try to attack the Moses souls that are in the Red Sea. But when the shark tries to attack, and it should be able to snap and bite that fish down in just one small bite, because it's a small little fish. But when the shark tries to bite down on it, the Moses soul has a unique defense system built in on the inside. And when a, when a shark or a predator tries to attack it, it releases toxins. And when this Moses soul releases toxins, it freezes the jaws of the shark where they can't bite down. So the shark's going like this. It can't bite down. It can't clench its teeth. The Moses soul is just swimming around right in front of his mouth like na 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 boo boo and just swims out of his mouth. The shark can't touch him. And you know when I heard that, I thought about how no weapon formed against you shall prosper. Any tongue that rises against you shall be condemned. The enemies might line up. But God has set a shield of favor all around you. He's gonna give you favor on your left, favor on your right, favor behind you and favor in front of you. The enemy cannot touch you. He may try to come against you. He might form weapons against you, but they won't prosper. They won't prosper. So David kept on prospering and he kept on growing. And David recognized where all his prosperity came from. He never forgot that it was God who placed him in this position. I wonder if promotion has changed your stance towards God. God is looking for leaders who will still seek him even after they're promoted. God is looking for, for leaders, for bosses, for people to still seek him even after they're promoted. Even after you get married, even after the miracle happens, even after you have children, even after you get blessed, even after your salary is so big that you would still say, God, it all came from you. So Lord, what do I do in this decision? David never changed his stance. Even after he had become king, even after he had gotten into the throne, he had the golden crown, he would take it off and say, you're the king of kings, Lord. So what do I do? This was his stance. David had a dream in his heart to build a temple for God. It was a big dream. And at first, he thought God gave him the yes, the green light to go for it. But then God came back and spoke to David, David, this is not for you. God said, this dream is not gonna happen in your life. In fact, it's gonna happen in your children's life, the next generation. And I love what God says to David in 2 Samuel 7, verse eight. He says, David, I chose you. 
I took you from tending sheep in the pastures, and I selected you to be the leader of my people, Israel. God has a way of using your past to prepare you for your future. God used David's past of being a shepherd, taking care of the sheep, to prepare him for shepherding the nation of Israel, the flock of Israel. You know, no seasons in your life are wasted when you put your life in God's hands. Even the seasons of humiliation, God uses as preparation for your destination. God uses what you've walked through that was shameful, that was embarrassing, that was humiliating, to prepare you to be the leader he's called you to be. And so God said, David, I'm putting a period here on this dream. When God puts a period in your life, don't throw up a question mark. Trust that God knows what's best. David didn't get bitter, he didn't get upset. It says in verse 18 that David came and he sat before God. After God told him, you don't get to do this thing that's in your heart. You're not gonna get to do it, David. It's gonna be your son. It's gonna be one of your kids in the future. David's response was, who am I, God? Who am I, sovereign Lord? that you are even mindful of me. God, what is my family that you have brought me this far? David had a response of humility. He said, God, it's all yours. God, I'm honored that you would choose me. I'm honored that you would use my family. David was a recipient of grace. Everybody say grace. He realized that he didn't earn this spot. He didn't come from a wealthy family. He didn't have all the knowledge to be the future king of Israel. He recognized that God was using the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. God was using the weak things of the world to confound those that were strong and powerful. David said, who are we, God? I'm so glad that God looks at our limitations and he doesn't see our limitations as some reason to back away from us, but he sees our limitations as a motivation to show his favor and his grace and his glory. He looks upon your limitation and he says, that's my destination for my glory to be revealed in your life, David. And David said, God, thank you. Thank you for using my family. How many of y'all like to eat at Chick-fil-A? Come on, Chick-fil-A fans. Y'all like, what does Chick-fil-A have to do with this? I don't know about you, but when I go to Chick-fil-A, not on Sundays, but all the other days of the week, when they hand me those chicken nuggets and I gotta get my Chick-fil-A sauce, I say, can I get like two or three of those sauces? And they say, yeah. Come on, pastor, lay off the sauce. Come on, please, just give me some new sauce. But I always say, thank you. And when I say thank you, they say, come on, we got some Chick-fil-A workers in the house. They say, my pleasure. There's something about gratitude that just stirs up this, oh man, it's my pleasure to serve you today. And I think when we say thank you to God, you know what God says back to us? My pleasure. My pleasure, David. God's looking for people who don't just act like they're entitled to God's blessings. You know, the opposite of grace is entitlement. Entitlement says, yeah, I deserve this. Yeah, I hid in the caves. Yeah, I was mistreated by Saul. I deserve this crown. I deserve these blessings. The company should have treated me better. My spouse should have treated me better. My parents should have done more for me. I deserve better. And as long as we live like that, we are in misery. The most miserable people in the world are the entitled people, the people who feel like they deserve everything. The people who are the happiest in the world are the people who just live with grace. Oh, grace, amazing grace. What an amazing grace, God. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I didn't deserve these blessings. Who am I, God? Thank you. And you know what God says back to those people? My pleasure. My pleasure. 
I've got more for you. I'm gonna bless your family. It's your time. It's your family's time. Everybody say, thank you, Jesus. Thank you for your grace. And just hear God saying, my pleasure, my pleasure, victory, my pleasure. God takes delight in blessing his children. He loves you so much. God loves to surprise his kids with incredible grace, unmerited favor, unprecedented, over-the-top, flood-like favor. Well, 30 people believe that. Maybe there's more that believe it online or at watching this on TV. David said in Psalm 129, Verse two, from my earliest youth, the enemies have tried to come against me. They've tried to persecute me, but God has delivered me every time. They've never been able to defeat me. They've never been able to stop me. David recognized God's hand on his life. You see, when you realize how much grace is on your life, you realize this, that hell cannot stop what heaven has ordained. Hell cannot stop what heaven has ordained. No matter how bad things get, no matter how many spears are thrown, you know heaven has its hand on my life. God has ordained my life to step into future things. If there's breath in my lungs, God's not finished with me yet. My best days are still in front of me. I will see the goodness of the Lord, not because I deserve it, but because he's so good, because he's so gracious, because he loves me. Last night, as I was tucking my child into bed, both children, Liam, who's three years old, he just started singing to me, yes, Jesus loves me, yes, Jesus, and he's got a really high-pitched Mickey Mouse voice, and I said, Liam, that's right, he does love you, and he says, Jesus loved the little children, all the children of the world, you know, and he just goes through the whole song, but... God loves it when we recognize that he's a good father. He's a good, good father. And you know, there's something I wanna end with today in David's season of life in this moment. It's in 2 Samuel 9. Because David understood that God was a good, good father, that God loved him even when he least deserved it, that God's grace was sufficient, David knew how to receive grace and he knew how to give grace. And in 2 Samuel 9, verse one, David asked this question. After being the king for a little while, he said, Hey guys, do you know, do you know if there's anyone left from the previous king's family? Do you know if there's anyone left from Saul's family? Anyone that's still alive? Anyone to whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake? Now Jonathan was the son of Saul. Jonathan was David's best friend. When David was in his worst seasons of life, Jonathan showed up and helped him out, prayed for him, encouraged him, and made a promise with David and said, David, I'm gonna be your friend for the rest of your life. I'm gonna help you through thick and thin. You've got a friend in me. This was like Woody and Buzz Lightyear. They were were in it to win it. They were like peanut butter and jelly. They were like beef and cheddar. They went together. They were tight, man. Come on, I could keep going here. I got all kinds of analogies. But Jonathan died. His best friend died. Saul had died. And David thought, you know, I didn't get here on my own. God got me here, but there were some people along the journey that helped me. Never forget who helped you get to where you are. Look back and say thank you to your teachers, your coaches, your grandparents. People helped you. I wonder who you could text today or call and just say, hey, I was thinking about it, and I haven't said thank you for all the times that you helped me out. Maybe there's an employer or a company or a coworker, someone that did something for you. See, when you live thankful, you just experience so much more joy 
It's like you just become a, a, even a greater recipient of God's grace when you just look back and say, who can I thank? Who can I help? And so word gets back to David. They say, hey, there's a man named Ziba who might know. And so verse two, he summons this man named Ziba and he says, are you Ziba? Yes, sir, I am. And verse three, he says, Ziba, is there anyone left in Saul's family that's still alive? If so, I wanna show God's kindness. Now the Hebrew translation for God's kindness was unprecedented favor, over the top favor. I'm gonna flood somebody, I'm gonna surprise somebody with amazing favor, amazing grace, and they, they can't repay me back for it because I'm gonna do it all free. And Ziva said, why yes, yes. There is someone left from Saul's family. It's one of Jonathan's sons, in fact. He is alive, but he's lame in both feet, he's crippled. Now why would Ziba give that explanation? Because once again, man looks at limitations, but God looks at our limitations and sees a motivation for his glory and his grace and his favor. He says, I'm gonna bless you in your weak places. I'm gonna bless you when you feel like you don't deserve it. In those days, it was custom for any king that was alive to kill all the relatives that were still alive of the previous king. So. For instance, if you stepped in as king and the one who was before you was dead, if any of his kids lived or any of his grandkids were alive, in those days, the, the, the current king would go and find them and kill them and get rid of them because they were threats. They could start a rebel army. They could somehow come back in and say, that was my father's throne. That was my grandfather's throne. I'm taking it back. There was all kinds of just fear and people ruled out of this intense fear, but David ruled out of this intense love, out of this intense grace. And when you're a recipient of grace, you know how to be a giver of grace. And so David said, go, go find that boy. Where does he live, by the way? And verse four, it says that Ziba responded to David and he said, David, he lives in Lodabar. He, he lives in, in the house of Makir, son of Emil. Now, this time, this little boy had grown up. He was in his late 20s and he was living in a town. Lodabar was a hideout town. It was a place people go to hide to kind of stay in the shadows, make sure that nobody finds him. It was a valley town, and, and I can only imagine why Mephibosheth was hiding, because the reason he was hiding, he thought one of these days, King David might come looking for some of the relatives of Saul, and when he goes looking, I need to be in a place where I can hide in the dark, where nobody will find me. And he was crippled in both feet, and so David sent for him. In verse five, he said, go and get him. Go and bring him from Makir's home. Now, why was Mephibosheth crippled? We gotta back up a few chapters to kind of discover why Mephibosheth was crippled. In 2 Samuel 4, verse four, back up with me, just five chapters in your Bible. 2 Samuel 4, verse four, right when Saul and Jonathan died, watch this, Saul's son Jonathan had a son named Mephibosheth. Everybody say Mephibosheth. You probably never heard of that name before, Mephibosheth. You just got a new name for your next child, Mephibosheth. <laughs> By the way, before his name was Mephibosheth, his first name was Mirabal, Mirabal. And Mirabal meant um, he would defy the idols of Baal. And so he had, a, he had a strong name, but his name changed over time. Mephibosheth actually meant son of shame. So you probably don't wanna use that name in the future. So he carried this name, son of shame. Everybody say son of shame. And he was crippled as a child. He didn't start off crippled. Everything changed one day. When he was five years old, a report came from Jezreel that Saul and Jonathan, that's his grandpa and his father, had been killed in battle. Can you imagine five years old finding out your daddy just died and your grandpa just died? And now the next king's about to step in and you gotta run and run far away. 
When the child's nurse heard the news, she panicked. She picked him up and she fled in fear. But as she was hurrying away, she dropped him. Everybody say dropped. She dropped him. And when she dropped him from that day on, he became crippled. She was running and tripped. And Mephibosheth fell. And something went wrong in his spine and his hips. And when he got up, he was crippled on the outside, but he was also crippled on the inside. Daddy's gone, grandpa's gone, the palace is no longer ours. I gotta go, I gotta run, I'm ashamed. And he had to get crutches. Ashley, can you hand me those crutches? I want you to just see this for a moment. So here he is and 20 years go by. Mephibosheth learns how to live on crutches. He was dropped. It's unfair. I tell you, it's just unfair. My dad was a good dad. Why did it have to end like this? Why did my nurse have to drop me? I used to be able to walk. I don't know who dropped you. I wonder who dropped you though. Maybe your dad dropped you. Maybe the company dropped you. Maybe your, your wife dropped you. Maybe it was your ex. Maybe it was your kids or maybe it was your parents. Maybe it was the economy. Maybe it was just society. You felt like you got dropped. Something happened, it was unfair. Maybe you're not crippled on the outside, but you feel crippled on the inside. And you're saying, unfair, it's so unfair. It said that Mephibosheth grew up and he had a son named Micah. And they lived in Lodabar. They hid in the, in the shadows of a low town in the valley. So you, you can imagine the surprise that came the day that he heard a knock on the door of Makir's house. Is Mephibosheth in there? King's orders. Mephibosheth must report to Jerusalem immediately. Mephibosheth, come out now. I can only imagine just the fear, the shock. My time has come. The king's finally found me. He's going to kill me. He's going he's to end me. I can just imagine him bending down and kissing his son, Micah. Micah, I love you. I'm sorry. Daddy's got to go. Makir will take care of you. <sighs> unfair. It's so unfair. Mephibosheth hops out of the house with his crutches. They say, we're going all the way to Jerusalem. You can't, you can't hobble there. Give us your crutches. They put it on the back of a cart pulled by the horses. He sits on the cart. He feels every bump on the road to Jerusalem. <sighs> Just imagining what's going to happen when he sees the king, a relative of Saul. Saul, the guy who tried to spear David multiple times, who hunted David's life down. All he can think of is, this is it. I'll never see my son again. I've lived a really miserable life. When he gets to the king's palace, he comes in. And it says in verse six that he bowed low before King David. 
David said, Mephibosheth? He said, I'm your servant. With his head down, I wonder if he was waiting for the sword to slice. All he heard in this next verse, it was almost like he was in a dream. David said, don't be afraid, Mephibosheth. Don't be afraid. I'm not here to harm you. I'm here to show you kindness. I'm here to show you unprecedented favor. What? What? Listen, you don't understand. Your daddy came and he helped me. In my worst moment, your dad was there for me. And because your dad, Jonathan, never forsook me, I'm gonna give you all the property that once belonged to your grandfather, Saul. And I'm gonna make sure you eat at my table, the king's table, the rest of your life. Everybody say favor. 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 It's not fair. Favor ain't fair, baby. Favor ain't fair. Mephibosheth falls down again. <laughs> Who am I that you would show this favor to a dead dog like me? <sighs> Mephibosheth had only seen himself as a dead dog, unworthy, ashamed, dirty, afraid from the wrong family. David said, grace, grace, Mephibosheth. He told Ziba, Ziba, you're gonna take care of him. You're gonna serve him. You're gonna make sure Mephibosheth never has to lift his finger again. He's gonna have everything he wants. Everybody say grace, grace. Amazing grace, how sweet sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. Verse 13 says that Mephibosheth ate from the king's table every day for the rest of his life, regularly. And it mentions that he still had the crutches because the crutches were a sign of God's grace. It was a testimony that God had showed up and done the impossible, surprised him with favor, surprised him with grace. Mephibosheth was overwhelmed. Here he is sitting at the table. By the way, David adopted Mephibosheth to become one of his children. Grace. Maybe you're here today and you say, well, Paul, I don't really, I don't really relate with Mephibosheth. I mean, I kind of feel like I've been going to church most of my life. I'm good with God. I've read the Bible a thousand times. I've, I've done all the right deeds. I don't care how long you've been saved, all of us come to grace like this. We all come to grace on crutches. None of us deserve it. You can't pay for it. You can't earn it with enough spiritual points, enough Christian, pious, religious points. You can't give enough to charity to deserve the grace of God. No matter how many millions of dollars you might give to charity, you still can't earn enough to get the grace of God.
It is a free gift to the richest and the poorest, to every tribe and every tongue. God gives grace. He says, come Mephibosheth, come and eat at my table. Come and find forgiveness of your sins. Come into the family. He adopts us. He restores us. Grace in a barren place. God's about to pour out a flood of his favor. He's about to bring grace in a season where it feels like everything's against you. He sees you. He knows your address. He knows your number. He can find you even in Lodabar and bring you to the palace, bring you into a place of prominence. Everybody say grace. Grace. Favor. Favor. God wants to give you favor right now. He wants to give you favor in your marriage, favor in your family, favor in your finances, favor in that legal situation, favor, favor with your boss, favor with your employer, favor in your company, favor right now, favor with your children, favor with your parents, favor with your relatives, favor in every area, favor in the school, favor in the university, favor, grace, great grace. But it's not just for you. God wants you to be a recipient of it, and he wants you to be a giver of it. David knew how to give it because he had received it. Remember, David said, who am I, God? And Mephibosheth said, who am I? David said, I know how you feel. I'm the same way, Mephibosheth. I look at God thinking like I'm a dead dog, but man, the grace of God. This is one of my favorite stories of grace in the whole Old Testament because it shows us what Jesus has done for us. All of us come to the cross at Calvary with crutches. We all need forgiveness. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, but Jesus, out of his sheer love for us, made a covenant with God and with humanity and said, my blood is gonna pay the price for your sins on Calvary, the cross. It stands. You are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. You are forgiven. You are loved. You are his child adopted into his family. There was a man who came to our church not too long ago named Jimmy Miato. And me and my brother went on a missions trip with him and we were in Nicaragua together. He's the president of Compassion International. And when we were in Nicaragua, we were eating in this orphanage and they had prepared a feast, a buffet, chicken and rice and beans and all kinds of good stuff. And they had Coca-Cola, cold Coca-Cola right there in this rural village, Nicaragua. It was hot, 100 degrees, 150 kids. They had dormitories. It was nice. It was a really nice orphanage. All of Compassion sponsors had helped build this orphanage. Inside this orphanage, the dormitory, a church, a school, education, and a big wall, 10 feet tall, surrounded it that they were sitting inside this orphanage, living an incredible life. And as we were eating at the table, the president of Compassion looked and he saw this little boy peering over the wall far on the other side. And he was watching all of us eat, eating our chicken and rice. And he had dirt on his face, very skinny, seven-year-old boy just looking at us. space for me? Is there a spot for me? And I, I caught him. I saw him with my eyes. When I saw the president of Compassion looking at him, I started looking at him. The president motioned to the director of the orphanage, whispered something into her ear. She started walking out of the orphanage, the door that exits out to the outside of the wall. It was a street out in the middle of nowhere in Nicaragua. When she walked out the door, the boy jumped off the wall and took off running. He thought he was in trouble. 
So the director took off running too, chasing him down the street. And she found him hiding under a tree in the shadows. And she said, there's a spot for you. The president has asked for you to sit by him at the table. Man, it was so powerful. This little boy comes walking in and the president sits beside him and he says, get him some chicken, get him some Coca-Cola, get him some rice, get him some of that, those beans and gravy. And the president gets up and says, this boy, he was on the outside, but now he's on the inside. He's got a spot at the table. And from this day on, he's gonna eat at this table and he's gonna live in those dorms and he's gonna take lessons in that schoolroom, and he's gonna be a part of this family. I want you to stand your feet all over this room today. God's grace finds us, searches for us. God's looking for you right now. He wants to shine down his favor and his grace. Just as a weatherman would forecast rain is coming and we've had a lot of rain in Tulsa lately, haven't we? The Arkansas River is more full than I've seen it in a long time. But you know what I hear in my spirit? I'm about to pour out rain on Tulsa. I'm about to pour out rain on victory, a rain of my favor, unprecedented, over the top favor. I'm about to deliver them from what the enemy has tried to bring against them. Double for your trouble, for all the years of turmoil, for all the years of low debar. I'm gonna bring you into the palace. I'm gonna set you on the top. I'm gonna lift you out of the miry clay, out of the pit of despair. Amazing grace. How sweet the sound. Rain is coming. Rain is coming. Favor is coming. How many of you in this room right now need favor in your life? You need God's grace in your life. Situations you're facing beyond your control, you're saying, Paul, I need it. I need God's favor. I need his grace right now at my job, in my family, in my health, in my marriage right now. I need favor. I'm believing for grace. I'm believing for God to turn these things around. I want you to just leave your seat. Come meet me at this altar right now. Come to this altar of grace. Come to the King's table of grace. Come and find your seat at the table of his mercy, of his favor, of his kindness. In Jesus' name, let's worship God all over this place. Like a blood, we receive your love when you pray. Like a blood, we receive your love when you pray. Like a blood, we receive your love when you pray. Like a blood, we receive your love when you pray. Like a blood, we receive your love when you pray. Like a blood, we receive your love when you pray. Like a blood, we receive your love when you pray. Like a blood, we receive your love when you pray. Like a blood, we receive your love when you p
almost in a receptive way to just say, God, I receive it. I receive your favor right now. I receive your grace. Lord, make me a vessel of your grace. Help me to be like David, to find Mephibosheth in my life. To show favor to those who could never repay. God, that I would look for ways to show kindness and mercy and grace. This week, God wants to use you to bring grace to people, to bring favor to people, to help people. You're never, you never stand taller than when you bend down and help somebody else up. Your destiny is connected to helping others in your life. David understood his destiny was connected to bringing other people into the palace, bringing other people up that were down, that were low. Those that are out there today, not at this altar, God wants to use you this week to lift someone up, to find a Mephibosheth in your company, in your family, someone who feels discouraged, who's down, who feels out on the outside of the wall and say, hey, come sit with me. There's a seat at my table. I've got a ticket for you. I'm gonna help you out. I'm gonna lift you up. You always win when you help other people. You always win when you help other people win. When you're a dream releaser, God makes sure your dreams come to pass. Lord, I just pray for every person in this room. If you're here today and you say, Paul, I'm not right with God. To be honest, I feel far from him. I feel like there's sin in my life. I feel shame and fear. I don't feel close to the king. But Paul, I, I wonder if there's grace for me. And I wanna answer that question today, there's grace. There's grace, there's grace today on this day of Pentecost. God wants to pour out his Holy Spirit and he wants to pour out grace in your life, extraordinary grace. If you're here today and you say, Paul, I need to get right with God. I need to repent of sin. When we repent of sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us, to give us mercy and grace. So today, if that's you, I want you to just lift your hand all over this room. You're saying, yeah, I'm ready. I'm ready to get things right between me and God. Yes, ma'am, yes, sir, yes, ma'am, yes. Yes, all over this room, from the front to the back. You're saying, Lord, I need it. Lord, I need it. And just say this with me. Say, Jesus, thank you for your amazing grace, for dying on the cross in my place, raising from the dead to give me life. I repent of sin and I receive your forgiveness. I receive your grace. God, I thank you that I have favor. Favor with you, Lord, and favor with people. Lord, I thank you that you surround my life with a shield of favor. When I walk out today, I walk out in favor. I receive it and I choose to give it. Thank you, Jesus, for your amazing grace, saving a wretch like me. I'm all yours, God. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Give God praise in this place. Favor is coming, favor is coming. First class, fast pass favor, accelerated favor. Thank you for listening to Victory with Paul Doherty. If you're in the area, we'd love to meet you at any of our services. Saturday night at 5 p.m. and Sundays at 8.30, 9, and 11 a.m. If you can't visit us, you can watch live on the Victory app. 
downloadable on the App Store and Google Play. Remember, your best days are right in front of you.